0: Any fans of old country music in here? Old country? Good, we got a few. Today I'm, I'm going to make a ploy kind of a, off of one of those songs from, oh I don't know, it's probably back in the 70s, maybe 80s somewhere. Uh, we're going to talk about the perfect gospel sermon. And you may recall there's this song called, uh, this guy claims that he has the perfect country and western song. Um, and what he, what he decides to do is there's certain ingredients that will have to be involved if it's going to be the perfect country and western song. It's got to have mama, trains, trucks, prison, and drinking. That's what it's got to have. And all these elements, and he, and he, and he sang this song. One verse of it, and he said, This guy told me, the writer of the song, told me it was the perfect country and western song, but I told him it was not because it didn't say anything about some of these characters mama, trains, and trucks, and prison, and drinking. So he wrote another verse to the song, and he put all that stuff in there. And the guy sang that, and he said, I realized my friend had written the perfect country and western song. Now, uh, you know what happens, right, if you sing a perfect country and western song backwards. Get your wife back, and your dog back, and your house back, and your job back, and all that. Right? that that's kind of what this guy was doing, and, and, he, and he recorded that song, and everybody said, yep, that's the perfect country and western song, and I got to thinking about that. What would it take to write or present the perfect gospel sermon? What would you have to cover for it to be The absolute most comprehensive gospel sermon that you could preach. And I decided to put all these ingredients in there. You go through the book of Acts and you see the preaching of the early apostles as they were starting the church. What were the ingredients that were all in there? And I decided that's what's going to make the perfect gospel sermon. And that's what today is about. There are so many features that have to be in there. There were imposter gospels already in the first century where people would preach something that they thought was the gospel of God, but it wasn't because it didn't contain those essential elements. So take into, for instance, Galatians. The book of Galatians, Paul says this, I'm so astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel Y'all, I want you to know that in the Christian world, there are different Gospels thrown around out there. Different messages claiming the Gospel that are not. He says, not that there's another one. There's only one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the Gospel of Christ. There are some presentations that are not actually Gospel. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a Gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. There are other options out there. Paul was emphatic about this. There are some good advice in some sermons. Paul quotes it this way, don't handle, don't touch, don't taste. But that's not gospel. It's not about obeying yourself or modifying your behavior. And there are all sorts of gospels presented out in the world today that are not really gospels. They're theories about how to have a fulfilled life and explain your reality. There are some spiritual hints within them, but they sound compelling and yet fall short. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be attractive and fulfill your dreams and happy and in control of your life, they say. Discover yourself in the real you. And anyone who discourages you from that pursuit is toxic and you need to cancel them. Those are imposter gospels, no gospels at all. So all that shallow stuff that's out there, we need to be precise in what we present in the church. There are counterfeits. And here is the truth said so many times in the Gospels. It's that Jesus is the King. He is the Christ. That's what this means. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. That's the story. That's the gospel. Jesus being the Christ. Acts chapter 9, verse 22. Saul and Christ all the more in strength and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving Jesus was the Christ. That is the gospel. Acts chapter 17 verses 2 and 3, Paul went in as was his custom. This is what he did all the time. That's what makes it gospel. It makes it important. And on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Acts 18, verse 5. Acts 18, verse 28. Over and over again, Jesus is the Christ, the King. And when you're in that kingdom, you've obeyed the gospel. And so Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God, Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 4. The king who preached the kingdom, it's the fact that God is ruler of the universe. And Jesus is modeling what it looks like when that's the case. Jesus came to rule on God's behalf. So what has to be included in a gospel sermon? What makes a perfect gospel sermon? What has to be involved in it? And there's ten things. We're going to do these quickly. I want you to see them. In, I'm not going to point them out in the text because that would take too long. But here's, here's the ten ingredients that have to be involved if you're going to preach the gospel. You can preach a lot of things, the implications of the gospel, obeying the gospel, but there's a gospel story that needs to be preached. Number one, as I present these, I really want you to know them. God existed. Jesus existed before becoming flesh as God the Son. It did not start in a manger. Jesus has always existed. He's been the Son of God. But he took on flesh and came to earth. Do you believe this? This is really the gospel that, that he was, he, he's always existed. He's timeless. He didn't, just, he didn't get created to come to the earth for three years That's not, he, he, or even 33 years. He existed before he became flesh. He was God the Son, and he's been here all the time. There's never been a time when he was not. But he came into earth existence as the Son. Number two, he was sent by the Father. From the Father for God's glory. This is God the Father's idea. So the Father is the one orchestrating this and sending him and seeing the story develop is his idea. Third, he took on human flesh, Jesus did, in fulfillment of God's promise to David and lived a sinless life. He became one of us so that he could talk to us. Number four, he died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That Old Testament stuff really matters. The G- Jesus didn't just come in the Gospels and that's all. And we don't need the Old Testament. The Old Testament is very important for this that it was all kind of orchestrating his coming into the centerpiece of the story. He was... He died for our sins. Then he was buried. We often overlook that detail, but it's very important. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Not just that he was raised, but it was a plan that God always had in fulfillment of all the predictions of the Old Testament. Jesus was raised that third day. And then he appeared to many witnesses. This is really important. It's not like he did this in some shadowy area and then later on claimed it. There are many people who saw it. And that's why we have all that testimony for 1 Corinthians 15. The historical fact of it matters. The eyewitness testimony bears witness to it that Jesus really was seen. He really was seen by human beings. Then he is enthroned, is enthroned at the right hand of God as the ruling Christ. He's in charge whether things look that way or not. You believe that? Y'all? You believe that? You believe even with America and Russia and, and North Korea and all that craziness in the world, even with all that insanity raging in our world, just look at the evening news, things run amok. You believe in the midst of all that, there is a God ruling? That's what you're bearing witness to this morning in your presence here. Then he sent the Holy Spirit to his people to effect that rule of his That power to live between now and what will be, but is not yet, is through the Holy Spirit. He made this clear to us before he left. This is part of the gospel, the Holy Spirit testimony. And finally, he will come again as the final judge to rule. And when he does, the righteous will go with him. The unrighteous won't. They'll go to another destiny that awaits them. They'll hand the kingdom to the Father. This really is the gospel story we believe, and it's the reason you came here on a Sunday morning, because that's the resurrection day that we remember. And every Sunday morning, you come together and we recall this story. We eat and drink of this story. We embody this story, and we say for this week, as we live out our lives, we're going to model this story and the implications for our own lives. Now, some observations real quick as we wrap this up, right? The gospel is true regardless of how or even if people respond to it. True or false? It's true. Even if only 10% of the world, even if 0% of the world ever really acknowledged it and assented to it and decided to believe, even if no one ever believed it, it's true. And if you're a minority for the rest of your life, it's still true. Jesus is reigning despite how things look. But there's also another thing. For the gospel to benefit you, a response is necessary from you. The gospel is about inviting God inviting us to serve His kingdom. It's not about God begging us to let Him bless ours. This is not about us Thinking God just loves us, can't just adores us so much and rubs our cheeks and says, I'll do anything you want to, I'll be your genie and give you whatever you want. That is not the gospel story. The gospel story is God saying, I'm going to make my kingdom come to this earth and I'm going to fill the entire earth with it eventually and I want you to be my agents through whom this comes and I want you to benefit from it. But even if you refuse to do that and you are actually a, 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 a disastrous side effect of it, It's coming. It's coming. When you do respond, you're receiving a blessing of this. It's a privilege. It's an opportunity for you. It's good news. And those of you who've responded to that gospel have said, I believe this, and I'm just waiting for the day when we see this. Response to the gospel requires some things. It requires faith. We believe certain things. We intellectually grasp certain things. These ten things we believe are not just optional things you can choose to believe or not believe. We believe those ten things. This is the absolute truth of reality. We mentally embrace these these facts and commit our lives to them. When we take a confession from somebody, this is what we ask. It's a responsive mind. It's your mental response. And if you are a believer this morning, because you've already said that, you have said with your lips, I believe this story. Second, you respond with repentance. An actual change of your mind and heart and intent Turn away from wrong behaviors and loyalties, from you being the throne of your life, from you being the one who can call the shots and you can behave any way you want to, and I'm an independent being and I can do what I want, and that's how God made me. The answer is, He may have made you that way, but He made you so that you would choose to respond to Him. We are not obeying the gospel if we're not submitting to the King. So when we take a confession from somebody, we ask, Do you believe that Jesus is the King? Of your life. That's what we ask. And you're willing to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit all my desires and thoughts. I'm going to submit them to him and let him change those things. It's an issue of will. This is a question and an issue that plagues me a little bit when it comes to young people. There's a lot of young people who will be able to tell you the facts like that first one. They know in their mind. They believe Jesus really because they've been taught that from when they were small. But there's a difference between I know who he is and I am willing to let him take control of my entire life to be the one who calls the shots. And sometimes I think we've lowered that age just so much that just if they know anything, we, we want them to, to, to be immersed and to be commit to those things. But y'all, it takes, it takes this grappling with who I am and what I want and submitting it to what God wants, and that takes some time. And that takes some, a little bit of a, a wrestling with yourself. Be careful that we don't do this too soon. This is a response of will. I am going to submit my will to what God says. And that takes some maturity in a person. And then it leads to a response of baptism. You are immersed with a deliberate identification in the death, burial, and resurrection. You're acting it out. You're redoing what he did as the heart of the gospel. You are dying. You are being buried. And then you are rising again, right? It's a joining with that past event, but it's also a commitment to a future one for you. And this is a responsive body. Your entire mind, your entire will, your entire body is being committed to reenacting what Jesus already did. I'm willing to die rather than go against what God wants me to do. This response is hugely important. And every time we gather at a baptism, we're acknowledging that this person is committing their lives to a way of life set by God through Christ. And we're going to commit to following it. And we will live our lives in allegiance to the king every day. A monarchy, not a democracy. A monarchy. Your desires are secondary to the will of our God. You submit to that rule. Nothing in your life exists outside of that obligation. It covers your love life. It covers your relationships, it covers your job, it covers your leisure time, how you act at school, it covers how you raise your family, what you watch on TV, how you vote, how you evaluate other people, and on and on and on. You're a privileged servant working for the king in service of his kingdom 24-7. There's never a moment when you're out from under that obligation. nothing outside that response what this means then is this whole idea i'm forgiven so i can uh, i can just go on my way to god i can just give my life to him and it just i just I, i then live the way i want to is not true next slide if you go so then god's agenda then fills my eyes so you may know this but uh in creation genesis chapter one he created us as imagers of himself he wants us as his imagers in the world you were created in the image of God In the image of God he created them male and female he created them and they they took their their posture for life from God's image himself and we pray this too don't we our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name what's the next line Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, what I want is this. I want my life to be in conformity to your image and your nature. I want to take, my, I want to co- take the shots from you. I want to I'll take the call from you to determine how I'm going to live. And we actually pray this. For our own selves. And every day we are not our free moral agents. We are representatives of our God. And so we pray this, that God's agenda is to to fill the world with his glory. And I am going to be his glory in the world. I am going to represent him by how I make decisions in light of him. And as I go out and make those decisions, I demonstrate to the world what it looks like to surrender to a God and his will I woo people in. We live this out. We do give up our freedoms. We Americans who so very much fight for our freedoms, we yield our freedoms when it comes to the kingdom of God. This is not a democracy. Don't get confused your American citizenship with your your kingdom of God citizenship. This is a monarchy. You do what he calls for you, and you find pleasure in living that way. And God's delight is when everyone finds satisfaction in living the way God would have them live. We strive for this. And then we share that gospel with people. We share it in our lives. We share it in the words that we say. We want the entire world to do this. This is not just a you're forgiven so you can go to heaven thing. This is, a, this is we, are, we are embodied by God through his Holy Spirit to take part in his plan to save a world that's lost and messed up. And we demonstrate it in the way that we live our lives. And so we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we live that. We get to serve God. We get to image God in a world, right, to expand that kingdom to more and more people. He's trying to overtake the world, and eventually this world is going to be overtaken for God. And those who choose not to participate will be given a different, a different destiny. What an honor to be part of this. That is the good news. For those of you who have already responded to it, you're already participating with God to recreate the world in the image of Christ because you are taking His glory in the world. So you can say this morning, I, I heard the perfect gospel sermon, not because of what the preacher said, but because it is exactly what God has asked us to do. But you are also leaving and able to be the best gospel sermon. As you live your life out in the world, then when people ask, as Peter says, when they ask you for the hope that's within you, when they ask you, why do you live that way? You're ready to say, because I'm a kingdom person representing the God who called me. This morning, if you are a Christian, you've been reminded of your calling for this week. Don't get lulled by the world's messages. Be committed to the gospel message that you believe, that you know is the truth. If you've never responded to that this morning, you have a chance to participate in that kingdom. You have a chance to, to confess the name of God as the one who is your king. He's not just, he's not just your Lord, he is your king. He is the one calling the shots in your life. And if there's people living here, maybe you're living your life, I just, I just want to call the shots in my own life. I want to be a free moral agent. I want to do what I want. Well, that, you, could, you have the freedom to do that, but that's not the conviction of kingdom people. Conviction people. Convicted kingdom people say, I'm in the kingdom of God. I represent him. I'm under his dominion and sovereignty, and I'm doing it willingly because I want to represent and embody his kingdom in this world and share it with others. This morning, you've got your identity reminded. You've got your job description as you go out in the world. And if there's anyone who needs to make a change of kingdom, maybe you've been living for yourself instead of for God, who who is your king. If you've done that, let's make some changes, whether it means repenting and coming back to where you once were, or whether transferring for the first time to be a person who embodies the kingdom of God. This morning, stands ready for you as we stand and sing.